0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz interview series with jazz saxophone virtuoso James Carter. He opened up about his latest 2019 CD, James Carter Organ Trio, live from Newport Jazz. He's now at 50 and making his debut as a band leader for Blue Note Records. He was born in 1969 in Detroit, and he began playing at the age of 11 and studied early on with trumpeter Marcus Belgrave. As a prodigy, he quickly progressed, and by 1986, at the age of 17, he joined Wynton Marsalis on tour. He had six recordings under his own name between 93 and 2000, and has consistently been lauded for his prowess on the jazz bandstand. He opened up about this and quite a bit more, so please dig this interview, my friends.
1: Cool, man. Hey, James, thanks for taking a minute out today. It's- uh,
2: thanks for finding me viable to be able to have such an uh, audience and uh, inquiries and all that other good stuff.
1: Right on. Let's start off with your organ trio live from Newport Jazz. Great recording. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: talk Thanks to me a, a little bit
1: of, yeah yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you feel about the sound quality and what went into this project.
2: To be honest with you, this was a I call it a hostile album because of the fact that uh, originally we were um, doing this album in the studio last year. Basically, the genre and change stuff couldn't be harnessed inside of a studio. You know, it's, uh, it got its wings in a live audience situation. Uh, when uh, Don Was from Blue Note heard the project, it was at the uh, 2017 uh, Monterey Festival live, and he and his kids dug it, you know. So it's at its best when it's live, and as fate would have it, we were in, like I said, for three days in the studio in July of last year. We couldn't use any of the uh, material. So thanks heavens, fast forward August 5th of uh, 2018, we We're at the Newport Fest, and uh, they just happened to have the uh, the feed going into the boards, and uh, that's how we got the basic sound from that, uh, and that material.
1: So, you know, sometimes there's musicians that like to do the studio, others like to do it live. Where do you fall in that kind of realm of recording? I'm like
2: doing them both of course they at different uh venues, of course, always live uh would be the best situation, but uh on the flip side of the frosty anyway, menu Weed, of course uh you get a chance to concentrate a bit more and have a bit more of a format or whatever in the studio you know, but uh like I was saying earlier, this project uh it can be formatted but it would sound a bit constrained if it is. How do you see each of your successive releases? Do you see it as an
1: evolution of yourself as a musician? Do you see it as an imprint in time, a combination of both? How do you view it?
2: All of the above certainly is all it's always supposed to be an evolution of, you know, on whatever the material is and even if I'm going back to revisit material, I mean it's because I hear some other nuances that I wish to bring to the forefront this on the project case in point. The first time I dealt with any of uh, the Gypsy Maloo or Reinhardt's material was with uh, Chasing the Gypsy, and that was in the acoustic, you know, realm, but to actually you know, have the ability to hear it where it could be presented in an electrical, you know, more of a urbanized format was uh, something that we kind of stumbled upon back in 2002, but it really didn't come to fruition until a few years before the recording that we just did.
1: Speaking of evolution, let's go back to your beginnings in Detroit. Talk to me a little bit about how you got into music and more specifically jazz, or what your childhood was like with music.
2: Born January 3rd, 69, youngest of five uh, kids, two brothers, two sisters, all musically inclined. And as a result of that, uh, oh, and also my parents, mom used to play violin and piano in her uh, formative years, and uh, Dad just played a mean radio and wouldn't have nothing that sounded like BS on it, you know. (laughs) So there were standards that were going on, uh, you know. So to that end, uh, my brothers and sisters and, you know, everybody basically played a a mixture of everything from the Beatles to Paul and Funkadelic to the brothers, Jimmy Hendrix, um, you know, ad infinitum. It was all played throughout the house. But I single-handedly cite my mom as uh, the jazz reference because she would clean up, you know, and uh, in her leisure time listen to the greats like uh, Billy Eckstein, Carmen McRae, you know, Billy Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, you know. And it seemed like that was the only time that she was like, really cool, you know, like, yeah. So I started listening to Long and you know, and uh, there was always this sound that came right after the vocals, you know, for the most part, and uh, that sound was a saxophone. That was enthralled by the sound of the horn, and then to see it later on, you know, the gold, the opulence that, you know, most of these saxophones entail on the album covers, and also, I was turned out.
1: Hey, what was the first jazz show you really saw that captivated you?
2: sometime in 1980, at the music hall here in Detroit. It was uh, Count Basie's Orchestra with uh Billy Eckstein as the uh, guest vocalist. The fact that it was a big band and I had previously uh had one of uh Basie's uh flow recordings, Basie Jam Three, that had uh Joe Pass, John Hurd, Louis Belson, Lockjaw, Danny Carter, Al Gray and Clark Perry it was the front line. And to finally see, you know, Basie come to life and to hear the, the big band and then to watch your mother lose it as a result of uh, Billy Eckstein coming on, that was uh, <laughs> a sight and the sound to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. It was like, you know, girls losing it at a Usher or a Justin Bieber concert now. <laughs> <laughs> and to see your mom, you know, extend her adolescence out there and almost getting ready to fall over the balcony. It just talks about the sheer power in that these cats had. So fast forward to uh, two years uh, after that, uh, November of 82, uh, my teacher, uh, Mr. Donald Washington, gave my folks a heads up saying, that I'm going to take uh, James down to this uh, concert with the World Saxophone Quartet. So I'm 13 years old, and this is the very first time I'm hearing World Saxophone Quartet uh, live. To watch four saxophonists, individually and collectively, just literally shred a stage, <laughs> stoked the fuel, a furnace inside of me that won't quit to this day. And they were dressed in, like, tuxes, you know, so it had, like, that uh, string quartet, that sort of uh, formality. But they were informal about whatever it was that they were that they were playing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so since you were young, was music going to be the path that you wanted to take in life? Is that always what you thought your life would
2: be? Oh, so, uh, originally I thought uh, I was in the science and uh, computers. I thought that was the way that it was going to go down. But then uh, in comes you know the family music bug, as far as I was concerned, and. Uh, the saxophone basically chose me. I didn't choose it. So at
1: 23, you release your first album, basically on the set. You get all kinds of great reviews. My question is, did you ever feel pressure after that first release with all the great reviews, or did have you? has this just been the way you live your life?
2: I when, uh, The follow-up, when Jurassic Classics came about, you know, where everybody talks about the sophomore jinx or whatever it is, uh, I don't really recall myself feeling that. You know, it was just basically music You felt like uh, performing and documenting in your own way. You know, come hell or high water, you know, folks are either going to dig it or they're not, you know. In my earlier years, at my mom's uh, house, and she still has this piece of furniture, it's a china cabinet, right? So inside this china cabinet course a bunch of uh dishes, cups, saucers and everything's hanging up or uh you know being suspended in a particular way that on display. And I used to practice uh either adjacent or in front of that China cabinet. And depending upon whatever note I played a certain cup dish or a group of uh you know, plates or whatever would start vibrating just the slightest amount of lip pressure would take away that vibration and something else would vibrate. So I'm saying that to say that basically the China cabinet and its contents was a microcosm of whatever, you know, the people of Earth. Not everything's going to hit everybody at the same time, unless it's something that's seriously... Strong, you know, forceful or whatever that's being forced upon you, of course, then everything's going to vibrate. But for the most part, if I turn my lip a smidgen up away from uh, concert A, that 440 turning into 442 stops something from vibrating or being in uh, cahoots of having communion with me and then gets turned off and then something else gets turned off. You know, early on, folks saying, you know, you're not going to freeze everybody all the blinking time.
1: You've been fortunate over your career to play with a lot of legends and luminaries. What what have the elders of jazz taught you about how to, you know, not only be a musician, but how to live your life?
2: Well, that's first and foremost, right, there is that music and life don't separate. That's the first thing, uh, Pops, I call Mr. Washington. That's one of the first things that he, uh, taught, you know, that this is, a uh, It's one thing to be involved with it musically and to get your entertainment and stuff, that type of value off of it. But ultimately, it's a way of life. It's a culture. It's definitely a culture. And uh, as of such, there are chieftains, there are elders that you definitely have to adhere to and holler back at and listen to whatever it is that they have to say and uh, take it and then shape it in your own way in order for it to become viable for you, you know. And one of the good things that, uh, a whole lot of the, uh, elders, including my teacher, talked about was, uh, not only the fact that you have to deal with the music, but you also have to keep your body together. And a whole lot of that, as a result, I looked at, you know, some of my elders', uh, health, you know, their dental health, their, uh, dental as well as physical health, you know, and basically, it was really hip to hear them say, you know, it's not all about the music because if your body ain't happening, then you certainly aren't gonna be able to produce at optimum level.
1: Let me ask you this. If you could if you have a dream tonight, you run into your younger self, say from like fifteen, twenty years ago, and you could give yourself advice, what would it be? I
2: don't know, that's a good one because uh put more money away, keep diversifying uh one's craft as much as possible to become that much more versatile and be able to do other things. That keeps you Viable and relevant in more people's eyes. That way you can bring more more of the items that are contained in the China cabinet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's the best thing about being a musician?
2: The best thing is uh, being able to communicate and, uh, and travel. You know, communicate musically with other individuals, uh, to travel and to see and to feel other cultures firsthand and not necessarily depend upon uh, what's on social media or what somebody else's second, third hand you know, tells you. You have your own experiences that you can convey in part to uh, your kids and the other people that uh, can obviously turn them around and say, hey, I want to do that too and be able to experience that.
1: And that brings us the- closer together. Everything's going to come down to this. I want to know, you know, everyone has a perception of, who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, that you know yourself best. Who do you think you are?
2: Somebody that's trying to play these instruments and keep the neck warm and the reed wet. (laughs) (laughs) And bring people uh, closer to, you know, not only to the music, but ultimately to be able to look within themselves and to to find that in the voice and stuff that uh, helps them to be able to express themselves, you know. Because in a whole lot of instances, uh, you find people that aren't able to express themselves and they wind up uh, being toxic
0: individuals.
1: Absolutely. Hey, man, thank you for taking some time out to talk about the new life. Oh, I appreciate it. it. Good luck with everything. I appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Detroit, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to James for his class, time, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz.